tracing the footsteps of Jesus. It's something you can really invite your neighbors to and your community. It's also wonderful for small groups. We're going to talk about how you can use it in a small group as well as a public meeting. Uh, so here is a lady, Patty. She's uh, volunteering in our booth right now. This is her home in Daytona Beach. She lives part of the year here in Arizona. And uh, she has small groups regularly with her neighbors. And so, as a matter of fact, last night, before they, no, not last night, Tuesday night, before driving over here, she had a small group with two Roman Catholics, uh, husband and wife. She met them walking, and uh, they've been coming, and they do it twice a week because she's only here for a short time in Arizona. And uh, this is, happens to be there in Daytona Beach. Whenever I'm in Daytona Beach for conferences, I'll often go in and kind of do her class in the afternoon or evening. And so it's wonderful for small groups. Now here's something that I like to work on, and uh, it comes from a, a scholar in Jerusalem. He said, there are five Gospels that tell the story of Jesus. So when you think about that, five Gospels. So what's the fifth Gospel? Acts, maybe, Revelation. Elizabeth Talbot says it's Revelation. Um, I like what he says here. Four you will find in books, and one you will find in the land they call holy. Understand the fifth Gospel, and the world of the four Gospels open before you. So I love the idea that this fifth gospel is really the Holy Land. It's understanding about the life of Jesus. And we're going to explore some of that. And it's just, there's a richness that we can use this evangelistically and share with our neighbors, our friends. And, uh, and it opens up the Bible in a very special way. Well, when I first became a Christian, as you mentioned at a Rolling Stones concert in 1972 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, but that's a different story. Uh, I had zero interest in going to the Holy Land. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's very much holy about it, right? But it is the Bible lands. It's where the story of the Bible took place. I am pretty excited about that. And so I had very little interest in going there. And, uh, and then I had a simple, I had an archaeology class from Larry Garrity. And he had a little simple slideshow, one projector, and he was showing pictures from Dan to Beersheba. I don't know, something captured my imagination about that. And so it's kind of evolved since then. Here you can kind of see a little modern map that we, uh, we're working on using. And uh, I'll never forget going. Now, I had the privilege of going with Bill Shea. Some of you know who Dr. William Shea is, great scholar of the Adventist Church. And I spent five weeks with Bill. And we were, went up to this place, and I'll never forget the first time going there. You see the cave? This cave was the primary source of the Jordan River in ancient times. So you can imagine the Canaanites going up there. And you know what they did? They worshipped Baal. Alexander the Great came through, and the god changed from Baal to Pan. Okay? And here we can see the niches in the walls. And then Herod the Great received it as a gift from Augustus Caesar, and his son built a temple to Caesar there, his son Philip, and we know it as Caesarea Philippi. Now it's fascinating that Jesus took his disciples to this high place where Baal had been worshipped, where Pan was being worshipped, and where Caesar was being worshipped. And he asked them the question, remember, who do men say that I am? Right? Remember what Pete said? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. First time Jesus reveals his Messiahship to his disciples as at this Canaanite high place where Baal had been worshipped and where Caesar and Pan was being worshipped. I saw that and I thought, wow, of the hundreds of villages, he came here to do this. Isn't that incredible? He's saying, I'm above Baal, I'm above Pan, I'm above Caesar. 
And by the way, that's the first time he accepts the worship of his disciples as Messiah. And so, well, how great that would be. Well, I got interested. I was in, the, in my, uh, let's see, it was 1988, probably 87. I was going from Athens to Damascus on a solo trip. And I came by this place. I've never even seen a picture of this that I recall. Whole side of the mountain with these, these uh, calcium bicarbonate um, white um, minerals here. And all these hot pools coming down. And the hot water was channeled down into the valley. And guess what? It got down to the valley and it wasn't hot or cold anymore. It was what? All right. And so there you see the whole side of the mountain. And I'm walking in Laodicea. And I thought, wow, there's a relationship between these stories and the physical places that we're at. Got me so excited about the biblical world because there's something to share. So I developed a series on archaeology, and we started using this. And in those days, we were drawing about 15 people per thousand mailed. Now, those of you who've done some outreach in your churches, you know that's about 15 times more than you get the things we do today. But 15 per thousand mailed. Now, the, the push was always, well, they come to hear about Egypt, and they come to hear about that, and not about Revelation, which is true. So um, we were on a tour. I was doing a tour for pastors in Southern California. And uh, one of the people on the tour was my youth pastor who was getting into video. And he said, you know, Tony, you don't have to use slides. Now, in those days, we had 800 slides on Egypt. Okay? And I thought it was a pretty good program. You know, we, we had a lot of the Egyptian people that would come, and they'd be proud. We can make movies of this. And I thought, that's why you're the youth pastor, and I'm the senior pastor, because you're very naive. We can't make movies of this. We came back and he made a two-minute demo with Indiana Jones music in the background and planes and maps. And boom, I was teaching in Tarsus. I thought, we can make movies of that. Well, that's the way the footsteps of Paul developed. And uh, just a little, this is our little crew, Simon Liversidge and Pecos and Danny Chan, who's the senior pastor at Eagle Rock today. Simon's the senior pastor at The Place in Thousand Oaks and a young Tony. And uh, we woke up here in Assos. And you might notice that that's a Norwalk production when you see it on 3ABN or Hope Channel because it was filmed in the back room of the Norwalk Church when I was a senior pastor. So anyway, just a little bit of how this developed. Well, after doing that, I began to have a desire to do something on the life of Jesus, something that would be more in-depth on the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, this uh, movie star, Mel Gibson, was just coming out about that time with the passion of the Christ. And I thought, could we do something that would be historically accurate, archaeologically accurate, and scripturally accurate? that would touch people's hearts. So we began working on this series. Today we have 28 episodes on that. We have four volumes. And uh, the first volume is the early years in ministry of Jesus in Galilee, teachings and controversies, and in Jerusalem and beyond. Now each of these has seven episodes in it. And uh, so when we look at this, we, these are actually the study guides that go with it. Uh, I want to show you how it works. So here's volume one. You can see there's seven episodes. Uh, in volume one, same thing for volume two, volume three, volume four. So we get to go where the story happens. So again, the whole purpose is just, just imagine it right now with your neighbors, okay? As you're sharing it with your neighbors, they get plugged in to where the stories happen. For instance, isn't that beautiful? Is that Colorado, Oregon? That's Mount Hermon. We say Hermon, they say Hermon. This is the primary source of the Jordan River, from the melting snow of Mount Hermon. That's what makes life livable and tolerable in those places. And so here we're down actually at Caesarea Philippi, and we look up and we see a ski resort up on Mount Hermon. That's captured from Israel. Now this is 
uh, springtime. So we had to go there in, in the winter to get that picture. This is springtime, like Southern California. This is March. And remember what Jesus said? Not even Solomon in all of his glory are like the flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow. Now, most people go to Israel in June, July, August, even May, and you'll never see that. You'll see that in January, February, March, and then it's done. So we, we tried to get that. This is a very interesting picture. It's trying to give you a little bit of background before we actually launch into how to do it. This is the Wadi Kelt. Now, what's interesting about this is, this is where the Roman road went from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is 1,000 feet below sea level. It's 15 miles. So what did Jesus say? A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, right? And as you go down through this wadi, this is where the road went. You can imagine robbers. It was actually called the Way of Blood. And so he tells a story of the Good Samaritan that happened in this location, right? Makes all the sense in the world. So again, we're trying to, to set the table and bring these stories to life, right? And um, so we do a lot of filming there. You can actually see the trail running down through here. The road ran up here. And, uh, and then we uh, did some filming here in the Sea of Galilee. Now, I love this, and I just want to pause and, and let you think about this for a moment. I was actually, my brother's a Presbyterian, and they were doing this in his Presbyterian church in North Carolina. So I spoke there one week, and the, uh, the pastor's son got so excited about this story because you see this hillside? It's a natural amphitheater. For instance, you see my wife and our sound man way up there? I'm saying, if you can hear me, raise your hands. I'm not shouting, I'm just talking. It's a natural amphitheater where 10,000 people can gather and hear someone speaking without amplification. Now, it might have been a miracle. If I get to heaven and find out it's a miracle of voice projection that Jesus did when he spoke to the, to the crowd on the, you know, the 5,000, I won't ask for my money back, right? I'll say hallelujah, right? But probably he went to this place because 10,000 people could hear somebody speaking and teaching. So it makes it a reasonable story. And uh, this is kind of the baptismal site. This is what most people see when they go to Israel. The problem with this is that uh, it's very commercial and really the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is kind of pristine for the Jordan River, so we wanted to film there. The problem was getting there because you have this uh, mine. You have an electric fence, a minefield, and another fence. And this little road here, the Israeli soldiers drag every day. So we kind of climbed up onto the little spot. And uh, it said in Arabic... English and Hebrew, beware of mines. And I'm thinking, oh, those are old signs. Well, later on I discovered they weren't. And so we went up and we filmed there to have this beautiful background behind us to tell the story of the baptism of Jesus. Because again, we want to draw your neighbors and the people in your community into the story. So they're, they're learning new things. And then we're able to share some things that they might not have thought about learning, right? And so uh, while we're up there filming, here they come, the soldiers. And so I've got to climb down. Well, fortunately, my cameraman's put the camera over there, my microphone's under my shirt. Would you like to hear what they were saying? Kind of interesting. So here we are. You can see right here is the chain they're dragging. My wife's in the car down here praying on the hard road. And let's see if our sound works. Talking about the baptism of Jesus. The what? The baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. <laughs> you say, what are you doing here? I said, we're talking about the baptism of Jesus. The what? She, she carries on for quite a bit, and she's, I said, well, we're almost done. We're almost done. 
And they said, you can't be in here. It's a military zone. I said, well, we're almost done. And so then uh, they, they talked to headquarters and said, okay, we'll, we'll wait for you to finish. And well, of course, their radio's going and their diesel engine. I said, well, well, we'll just have to leave because we can't stay here with all this. And so ultimately, they got permission for us to remain there uh, since we were almost done. I won't tell you how long we were there. But anyway, that's kind of what the background of the series is. We're trying to draw people into the story by using things they may not have thought about, they may not have heard about, and showing them beautiful footage, and then we tell the story of Jesus. Now, what everyone wonders is, what's the purpose of it, right? You know what the purpose really is? To tell the story of Jesus, right? To tell the story of Jesus. But you know, when you tell the story of Jesus, certain things develop. For instance, Jesus celebrated Shabbat, right? And so we celebrate Shabbat. We, we, we share that story, but it's in a whole different context than we're used to. So I want to get into some of those things this afternoon and tell you, and sh- so you can see how we use those things, also how we use it evangelistically. But uh, I know some of you haven't seen it. Here's a little clip just of the introduction. In this wonderful series, Tracing the Footsteps of Jesus, we shall explore the historical context and the cultural setting of the world in which he lived. We will trap. Let me pause that. The Jordan River is the source. I'm so sorry. That round stone is an olive press. Do you know what Gethsemane means? That's right. It means press, olive press. So we say, Have you had a Gethsemane experience? And I often smile and say, Have I had my oil pressed? What do you mean? Jesus goes in, so we look at how oil presses work in episode 22. If you've seen the Jesus series, you know it's just a powerful episode because we take people into understanding that, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is being crushed. So when you see that stone turning, that's what it's about. In this wonderful series, Tracing the Footsteps of Jesus, we shall explore the historical context and the cultural setting of the world in which he lived. We will travel to Bethlehem where he was born and to Nazareth where he grew up. We will visit the Jordan River where he was baptized by John and the Holy Spirit came down upon him in the form of a dove. And a voice was heard from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We will then return to Galilee where he performed his first recorded miracle in Cana when he turned the water into wine. From Cana, we will go down to the shore of Galilee and the town of Capernaum where over one-third of Jesus' recorded miracles took place. Then we will travel to Jerusalem, where Jesus taught in the temple, prayed in a garden, was crucified, and ultimately rose from the dead. In this fascinating series, the life and times of Jesus will come to life in a vivid way on the screen and in your syllabus. As we walk many of the roads that he walked and climb many of the mountains that he climbed, you will become familiar with the world that Jesus knew. As you take this journey, tracing the footsteps of Jesus, you will be able to identify the places where he taught and performed miracles, and your reading of the gospel story will never be the same. This is kind of the introduction to episode one. And, uh, and the Jordan... So, these things are going to keep rolling on me. Um, in episode one, we're giving the background of the world of Jesus, and then uh, we talk about the birth of Jesus. We deal with the baptism of Jesus. And I just want you to show you one more little clip here before we get into the, how, to, how to advertise and use it and so on. 
When we do the baptism of Jesus, we try and do what we call eye candy, right? Because again, you're wanting your neighbors to get interested in, right? Coming to your studies and so on. Here's a little scene on the baptism of Jesus that traces the Jordan River. The Jordan River is the source of life for much of the region and is formed from the melting snow of Mount Hermon. Jordan means descending from Dan, the northern capital of the Kingdom of Israel. This is where the water literally springs from the ground and joins the water flowing from the cave at Banyas to form the headwaters of the Jordan. After tumbling over a fabulous waterfall, the river flows through a swampy area known as the Hullah Lake region before emptying into the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is not really a sea, but a freshwater lake also known as the Lake Gennesaret or the Kinneret. At 700 feet below sea level, this lake is the lowest freshwater lake on earth. When the river leaves the lake, it twists and turns through the valley until it drains into the deepest fissure in the earth's surface, the Dead Sea. While it is only 65 miles by air, the river actually snakes nearly 200 miles on the ground, making it one of the most crooked rivers on earth. Today, there is a very popular spot near the outlet of the Sea of Galilee where pilgrims come to be baptized. But this was not the spot where John was baptizing. That spot is identified as Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, probably near the area where the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea. The King's Highway would have passed just to the east of this site, and people traveling to Jerusalem would have passed by and heard John teaching and preaching. They would have taken the news of John's ministry to the holy city where it stirred the people. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Luke chapter 3 reveals that this took place when he was about 30 years of age. Yes, the whole country would... So again, when we talk about the baptism of Jesus, we're talking about baptism. Now, we're not twisting arms for people to get baptized, but we're actually taking them there. So it's very disarming because we're actually going and seeing these places and then teaching about it. Now, by the way, when... Jesus is baptized, what does the voice from heaven say? This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Well, there's one other phrase. This is my son, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Now, I was a pastor for 25 years. Uh, I've been a pastor for longer than that, now that I'm old and gray. Uh, Older and gray. There's something called stringing pearls. You ever hear that? The rabbis had something called stringing pearls. So they would say something like, you are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And he would expect his pupils, his disciples, to know where those references were from. Actually, in that phrase, there are three references. One to the, to the Torah, the law, the writings of Moses. One to the prophets. And one to the psalm, to the writings. And you think, well, what does that mean? Well, it's very interesting that, that in our study guide, in the Bible study section, we put them into that. You are my son. Today I've begotten you, Psalm 2, verse 7. A messianic prophecy. Take your son whom you love and offer him on Mount Moriah. 
the Torah, you see? And uh, Isaiah 42. So in the study guide, it actually takes you into that. So what I'm trying to say is there's, there's wonderful, rich depth even in these things. As we After We're going to skip over a couple of these things. Um, we try and weave in doctrine. So after Jesus is baptized, and what I'll do is I'll just let this play without any sound. And let's see if I can make it play this way. So this is actually the mount of the monastery of the 40 days, where Jesus traditionally was tempted by the devil. So he's baptized, he's tempted by the devil. What does that lead us to? What would be the natural question? Where did the devil come from? Right? And Jesus said, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. You see? So people say, well, what, what's the goal and purpose? Well, the goal and the purpose isn't to do 28 fundamentals or 29, if that's what happens in a few years, is to do the life of Jesus. But when Bible teachings can naturally be tied into that, they come powerfully. So after doing this, it allows us to talk about the origin of evil. How does Satan develop? Now, as Seventh-day Adventist, we got that down pretty pat. I want to tell you, others don't understand that at all. They don't understand this teaching at all. And I'm going to tell you a story in a few minutes about doing this series in England and something that happens. Just remind me to tell you the story about that in England uh, and the origin of evil. So we go to authentic locations. By the way, I don't know about you, but I grew up reading the King James Bible, and the King James says he went up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I got there, and they said, that's the wilderness. I'm like, I'm looking for big trees, like up in Oregon, right? I'm looking for, you know, all that. And you get there, and it's a desert instead. So it's kind of the wilderness. It's a wild area. But, uh, but again, the whole purpose is to draw the people in to the locations as we're talking about these things, to get them interested, and then to take, take, uh, talk to them about Bible teachings. And this, we're going to skip over this because we're just going to talk about how that the origin of evil develops. So you get the idea? When we can talk about Bible doctrines, naturally they come powerfully. And that makes them all the more powerful than just trying to line up different teachings uh, and, and something that, that makes sense for us. Okay? So the doctrines are linked to stories as we go through the series. And so here we are teaching the origin of evil. And I thought, what an incredible place in this desolate Wadi Kelp to be able to teach that story because it is so desolate. And so, uh, so interesting. So, our purpose is to do the life of Jesus. And is that what our message is about, really? Jesus is our message. Is that, am I right? Now, some of you got uh, volume two, and those of you who have come in since then, we have some, some kind of dog-eared samples up here. And there's a dog-eared sample of volume two. If you have a sample of volume two, does some of you have that? Uh, we have a very interesting episode called The Great Shema. It's episode 14. And uh, I think this got returned to us the, uh, by the post office having a broken box or something, so there's quite a few of these. Now, the, the Great Shema, you know, what, you know what Shema means? Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the most important prayer in Judaism, right? And so... They came and they said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment, right? He actually quotes the prayer that Jewish people at that time prayed three times a day, okay? Well, can't get any better than that, right? Now, in that, it's called Shema, means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He quotes that prayer. So we use this to understand the law. Now, it's, oh, okay. No, no I have one here. You can, you can hang on to it. So... Let me just develop this a little bit for you. 
The Pharisees believe that God gave all law to his people on Mount Sinai. He wrote some of it down, right? And the other he told to the elders, who told it to the elders, who told it to the elders. You get the picture? They believe both are equally inspired. Now, this is probably come up later, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. What's interesting about that is that that's the oral law. You read about the traditions of the elders, the traditions of the fathers. They think that's just as inspired as the written law. In this, they write it down in the third century into something called the Mishnah. You might have heard of the Mishnah. They write the Mishnah. So they write down this oral law. Now we can read what it is. And then they write commentaries called the Talmuds, okay? So they're commentaries. What's very interesting, the Mishnah says, if you eat food without doing the purification washing of your hands, it's like sleeping with a prostitute and you should be excommunicated from the synagogue. Now this is not hygiene, right? It's not hygiene. The whole idea is that uh, if a Gentile touched this apple, let's say, what happens to that apple? It's unclean. And now if I come uh, and I touch this unclean apple, what happens to me? I'm unclean. Does it have anything to do with pork? No. Nothing to do with camels, kangaroos. It has to do with a Gentile touching it. So they had to do a ritual purification washing to atone for that. Jewish people, even today, if you're religious, you're baptized daily in a mikvah. You know, we found almost 200 of these mikvahs around the temple. Whole different thing than what I, I'd thought about before anyway. And so in, in this, Jesus knows that you've got to do this ritual wash. You've got to have it. It's got to come off your elbow to fingertips and all these different rituals. Jesus goes into a house of a Pharisee, looks around, starts what? Eating without washing his hands, even though they believe that you should be excommunicated from the synagogue. It's like being with a prostitute. Okay? Jesus dishonors the oral law, but he doesn't dishonor the written law. Get the difference? And so in episode 14, there's a power, we, we explore that. And, uh, and then we explore the covenants from that as well. And the Bible study in that one, by the way, and I'll have a picture of this up in a moment, the Bible study on that one is about clean and unclean in Mark 7. Now, Mark 7 is pretty challenging to talk to your Baptist friends about if you only have three or four minutes, right? Because they're thinking, oh, it's about, he, he said all things are clean, and pork's okay to eat, and camel's okay to eat, and kangaroos. It's a whole different thing when you understand the background. So we're trying to go through this series, and it just lays a deep, deep foundation for understanding there's something much more uh, involved in this Jesus story. So uh, the oral law versus the written law in number 14. And once we deal with that, it leads us to number 15, and now we're in, in volume three. Now, volume three is called Teachings and Controversies. And so we open up in number three with Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath. Now I'm praying about it. How, how do we teach the Sabbath on the life of Jesus when you're in the land, right? And so I'm praying about it, and uh, I'm thinking we should open up at the Western Wall on Friday afternoon, right? Now, the problem is, from 40 minutes before sunset, you can't use your cell phone. You can't use your camera. And so my guys are actually three stories up, shooting down into the crowd. I've got my mic under my shirt. I'm trying to act nonchalant, 
It's actually the hardest take I've ever done because if this is the Western Wall, everybody's going that way. I'm standing out here talking to God. <laughs> they think I've lost my mind, you know. And so I'm trying to be under the radar because I don't want them to come and say, hey, what is that? And, you know, and see, I got a microphone on and kick me out. So um, anyway, I want to just show you a little clip. This is how we open the episode on the Sabbath, episode 15. It's called Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath. It's a special joy to come to the Western Wall in Jerusalem on Friday afternoon. You see families dressed in their finest garments streaming down to this location. It's a scene that will not quickly leave your mind, seeing and hearing the joyful expression of singing and dancing in celebration of the coming Sabbath. Throughout the week, there's often a somber mode as prayers are recited and even written and placed into the cracks of the structural wall that held up the platform of Herod's temple. But now that is replaced with joy, as can be seen upon the faces of the worshipers. Whether it's in the men's court or in the women's court, yeshiva students often begin the celebration of dancing as they come down to the wall. Soon it breaks out spontaneously in different locations. Even people like me with two left feet can be swept up with the joy of acknowledging God by welcoming His Sabbath. Now, after 1,800 years, the joy of Sabbath celebration is vibrant once again in the city of Jerusalem. With the exception of a few years during the reign of Julian the Apostate, open Sabbath celebration was forbidden here in the city of Jerusalem. This changed in 1967 when this area of Jerusalem was conquered by the Israelis. Today's Sabbath celebration reigns once again here in the city of Jerusalem. The rhythm of Jesus. Isn't that exciting? So again, you know, we're not, you don't have to give 25 proof texts about Saturday being the Sabbath. It's in the DNA of what's going on there. And then we talk a little bit about the theology of the Sabbath, and then we kind of approach it in a different way because my, my Baptist family on my father's side, they said Jesus was a Sabbath breaker, right? A Sabbath breaker. Was he breaking the Sabbath? Jewish said yes. He was breaking what the oral law said about the Sabbath. The oral law said if you have an earache, it's okay for me to give you cotton to put in your ear, but I can't put medicine on the cotton or that would be work, right? Jesus is breaking what the oral law said about it. He's dissing the oral law, but holding up the written law. Okay? And so we go into the Sabbath. By the way, there's a Bible study that goes with each of them, and this Bible study on this happens to be a more traditional Bible study about the Sabbath. So you see how I'm talking about that? As we're doing the life of Jesus, natural Bible teachings, they can come powerfully in that context, and we explore them and make it all the more powerful. Now, we're going to get into uh, the study guide piece in just a moment. This is uh, our episode on the destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, this is so powerful, in my opinion. And I wanted just to play a little, a little short clip on this. We're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and how prophecy was fulfilled. So Vivid evidences of the destruction of the city can be seen at the burnt house in the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem. The ash layer here is clearly visible as are the broken pieces of furniture and dinnerware. This 
is a mute testimony to the tremendous fire that raged in the upper part of the city. Skeletons were found in the drainage areas just as Josephus had written. The effects of the destruction can also be witnessed in this priestly home in Jerusalem. Here were found numerous mikvah baths where the inhabitants could remain ritually pure. The stoneware suggests that this was a priestly dwelling. The mosaics in the floor testify to the luxurious nature of this home, as does this beautiful foot-washing basin. The fabulous capitals for the columns discovered in the ruins suggest that this might have been the palace of the Hasmonean priest kings who ruled Jerusalem. But the most vivid fulfillment of Jesus' prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem can be seen here on this Herodian street that ran through the Tyropian Valley on the western side of the Temple Mount. Over 60 feet of debris have been removed, revealing what the street was like in Jesus' day. According to Josephus, Titus had ordered his soldiers not to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. The zealots and resistance fighters retreated into the temple since it was the strongest fortification in the city. They stubbornly fought from this location. In frustration, the Roman soldiers threw firebrands in to smoke them out. The cedar caught fire and soon there was a total conflagration. The gold melted and went down between the stones. So the stones were taken apart to retrieve the precious metal. When it was all over, the great stones of the temple and its surrounding buildings were pushed off the platform down into the Tyropian Valley where they remained under the debris for over 1,900 years. When this area was excavated, these stones were found. You can see the impact the stones made upon the street as they fell over 80 feet from the platform above. You can also see the fire marks on the stones, a poignant reminder of Jesus' prophecy that not one stone will be left upon another. Naturally. So again, it, it's the whole purpose is to, to draw them in. They're learning new things. And here you can actually reach out and touch fulfilled prophecy like that. So let me show you how easy it is to use the series. Again, as I said, how does our message fit in? Jesus is our message. We try and, um, and have our unique doctrines woven in with a spiritual twist. And uh, for instance, in episode 19, dead man walking. And so we go in and we climb around the tomb of Lazarus in Bethany. Now people say, is that the tomb of Lazarus? And I just say, you know, if it wasn't this seat, it was that one over there. It was one of these tombs right in here, right? Because this was a cemetery of Bethany from the first century. And so we know it was one of those tombs. So to me, it doesn't matter if it's this one, but this one's been honored. And so we have the privilege of going down and seeing what tombs were like. Understand? And so we get down and we're able to then talk about death and sleep and resurrection. He calls them out. And uh, so as we actually film there, and while we were filming, something happened, and, and this is what I, I want to encourage you about with the series. It's not just seeing pictures, learning new things, or even teaching Bible teachings, doctrines. We try and make spiritual applications. And something happened to me as I was filming this and researching it. After the resurrection of Lazarus, it says, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Well, I knew that. You know, they want to kill him, right? Therefore, Jesus no longer walked among, publicly among the Jews, right? Okay. 
Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. Now, yeah, where's that? Right? Ephraim? And so today it's called Tabi, which means good and kind in Arabic. Would you believe when you go to this village, it's the only 100% Christian village in all the Bible land, surrounded by 13 Muslim villages, three Jewish settlements, and it's a 100% Christian village. Jesus went and he hung out there with his disciples until he goes back for the final battle in Jerusalem. And something happened. The community was, was infected, you might say, with Jesus' teachings. And they resisted the Muslim onslaught during that time. Is that incredible? I thought, how cool. Well, we talk about that. And, and actually, I got a, a wonderful teaching. I spent some time with the Christian leaders there. And, uh, and so we make an appeal in that. Do you have an Ephraim that you go to? Do you have a spiritual retreat that you can get away from, right? Maybe it's out in the woods. Maybe it's in your prayer closet. Maybe, you, you know, it's just in your mind. But we all need to have an Ephraim, right? So we try and, and come back because we want our hearts to be changed and drawn closer to Jesus. So we have that as a spiritual appeal in that episode. Well, here's our advertising. Now, in the little packet we passed out, you have this. This is uh, actually a brochure. We developed this brochure the first time it was used in Johnson City, Tennessee. And, um, and it's been drawing very, very well. Inside, you can kind of see there's a map and different things. We advertise seven episodes, and I think all of these, you have these in your packet. There's seven episodes that we actually advertise, and then we advertise the eighth episode, which is the first teaching of volume two. And so if you do this as a public outreach for your church, you, uh, you in your uh, materials, it'll tell you to contact Color Press, and you give them the dates, and they'll print this out for you, and it works very good. Here's one that was used in Mesa Palms, and so it's just, just down the street from here. And they actually used this, and they drew about six or seven per thousand mail. And what amazed me is the next year they did it again. And they drew about six or seven non-Adventists per thousand mail in the same community. Now, it's a fairly big community here in Phoenix area. But uh, Terry Darnell and their church, I came over and spoke to the group one night, and uh, it was great. So they did it two years in succession, and so it was great. Now, years ago, I did the archaeology that we used to get 15 per thousand mailed in Johnson City. And we got about six per thousand mailed from the community out to the church. We came back several years later to the same community, and we got about six per thousand mailed. And now we're, we're not just talking about Egypt, which is nice. We're now talking right in the beginning about Jesus. And so I'm trying to say this, this is a very effective way of advertising. We also can provide you the PDF so you can print them, or you can have, we can have them printed for you, of beautiful 18 by 12 posters. I forgot to bring them. I have them here. Uh, that can, you can put up in different places uh, for people to see. And, um, of course, um, we have these beautiful banners. And, again, I love the idea of the banner. You know, even if you're doing it for a prayer meeting, put that banner in front of your church so it can be out there for several months, right? Just identifying in the community's mind footsteps of Jesus that you're doing. And so I love that idea. This is actually the Johnson City Church, and uh, I love that idea. Now, you are also some postcards. Some of you may not have a budget to do the brochures, and there's pricing and all that in from Color Press. In your, in your materials, there's a beautiful postcard that we have on the screen, and it says, coming to a, this one's generic, coming to a church in your neighborhood, but you can have it so it's saying, coming to Tryon. This happens to be in North Carolina. And on the back, it would give you the dates. So I encourage people, even if you're going to do it as a prayer meeting, 
get some of the cards and send them out to your interest list. Maybe you'll get one or two people that you didn't have before. And so it's very, very great to use for that. People use this to follow up traditional evangelistic meetings. They recently had a field school up in Yakima, Washington. And the pastor has now ordered, I think, five times to order more materials because people keep coming and coming and coming. And so I had to send some just yesterday before I left uh, for, because uh, they have more and more coming. So it's great to use because you're, you're doing something spiritual as a follow-up, but it's also hitting on doctrinal teachings. And so I sent them some of the postcards and they use them. So these are very inexpensive. There's information about how you can order those in your, uh, in your material. And here you can see on the back, this one's actually filled out, what time it will be, and so on. Uh, this one I like is coming to a home in your neighborhood. Patty's there on the back row, and she uh, on the back wall, and she loves to do this. Now, I first met Patty when I did the Florida camp meeting a long time ago, when we were both much younger, 10 years ago. And she got the Paul series, and she got it to show in her church. Well, she got home and they said, we, won't, we don't want a woman to teach in the church. You know, that might be not so good. And so she said, Tony, send me some of those postcards coming to a home in your neighborhood. Well, I didn't even have them printed, so I had to print them real quick and send them off to her. And she lives on the 20th floor uh, overlooking the, the uh, Atlantic Ocean there in Daytona Beach. And uh, you invited your neighbors, right? A few of them came. Yeah. So um, come up, Patty. I want them just to see you. So she does this, and she invites people, and she gets a whole houseful of people, non-Seventh-day Adventists, living in her building there uh, in Daytona Beach. And, uh, and then, of course, since then, she's uh, done the Jesus series of this group. And whenever I'm in Daytona, I try and drop by and, and do a class for her on Tuesday afternoon. And, and so it's been wonderful. Now, she then married uh, Bud over here in Green Valley, so she's back and forth between here and Florida. So what were you doing on Tuesday night? You have to speak this well, way to me. I, well, I was doing what I usually do on Wednesday night. I was doing the Jesus series. With, with uh, church members? No, they were neighbors. They were Catholics, both of them. So how, how, do you, how do you get people to come? Well, I met her. I was walking, and she was walking her dog last year, and I told her what I did. And I said, next summer when I come back, then I can do it. <laughs> so I let her know. And so we're doing it twice a week to try to get done faster before I go back to Florida. And she'll get back to Florida, by the way, and she'll do another group there in Florida because they keep hearing about it, and it's just wonderful. And so has it been pretty meaningful to do that? Oh, yeah. It's exciting. In fact, at the Sabbath school lesson this week, I think it asked, um, how many of you have non-Adventist friends? And this man said he raised his hand, and he didn't have any, and he was very proud of it. Well, I think I have more non-Adventist friends in the Daytona Beach area now because of doing this series, having so many. But after the Paul series, see, that was several years, wasn't it, until Jesus came out. I had 21 people that wanted the Jesus series, and none of them wanted to wait. So I had to do it three times a week because I couldn't get 21 people in my living room. <laughs> and, um, well, she had three different small groups every week. to so sown yeah. a lot of seed. One of them now is she's going up for a Sabbath school for the revelation of man's teaching new believers. And uh, so she's going there and joined here. So I'm, I'm hoping that she oh, beautiful. eventually will be baptized. She came to church for a while, but of course, 
It takes so long to get to the sermon. It's about 20 to 12. They had so many things, and the offering was a mini-sermon, and he didn't like that, so I'm hoping. Well, as we all know, it's a challenge when you're working with people who don't have an Adventist connection or Adventist background, and to get stay people from your community that your neighbors. And what I like about this is designed to try and reach your neighbors, okay? Right. And, 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 uh, and people from that. As a matter of fact, this is your house. And uh, she had to buy a new TV because this came out in Blu-ray high def, and so she got a new TV so that they could all enjoy it. And uh, here are some of her neighbors and friends and so on. Uh, and so I get to go in and teach when and I'm there. The ones with the glasses hanging down. Yeah. Here's the one now that she's gone through the It Is Written lessons. In fact, two of them have gone through the It Is Written mm -hmm. lessons. When I left, I just gave them the sets and they've been working on it. So you think these folks there. could do that? These folks could do that, right? Sorry? They could do this. Sure. Yeah. It is written has wonderful, yeah. wonderful lessons. Well, good. Thank so you, Patty. Let me, let me just show you how it works. This is, this is a, what you're doing, this happens to be a public meeting. Patty does a small group. Public meeting, you watch the video. Now, this, this is interesting because this is in Southport, England. Now, in Southport, England, they had a special project to try and reach the indigenous people of England. Yeah, you get my drift? Since they're recording this, I've got to be careful about my drift, I guess. But, uh, you know, the church is not reflective of the community in England. So in the North England Conference, they set aside a lot of money to try and figure out how can we reach the wasp, waspish, Caucasian, English people. And so they went to a place far away from all Adventist centers and Southport, England, and so they did this. Well, they asked me to come. I want to tell you that story. They asked me to come and to teach there. And uh, I'm going to tell you that story in just a moment. So you watch the video, and then you can see they all have their study guides out, right? So here's more of a public meeting in a town hall, and they have their study guides out. And you're going to be thrilled with this story in just a moment. But um, we, we, yeah, huh? Oh, all right. All right. Very good. So. And then you fill in the study guide. Now, this is inside the study guide. You can kind of see this. And you can see they're, they're filling it in. And, uh, and so here we can kind of see a question uh, here, evidence of a change of heart. He taught that people must be baptized with water. And what's neat about it, when you come to the end of the, the DVD, it says, do you want to go in the study guide? You say yes, and then these pop up. And so you kind of read that as an evidence of a change of heart. You notice how that was in the study, printed study guide. You told that people must be baptized with, and you're going to say what? Water, because you heard me say it, and then you push the button, and water pops in. You see how it works? And then they fill in their study guide. So it makes it so simple. You don't have to be afraid. It's just going to pop up on the screen. And look, if you pay to have me come to your church and do an outreach series, we're going to watch the videos, and we're going to go through it. Now I'm going to tell a lot of interesting stories and so on, but we're going to go right through it. So it's something you can do so easy, either in your church or your, or your home. And, uh, and then, as I said earlier, there are application questions. Every episode ends with application questions because ultimately it's not about getting more knowledge, although I love knowledge, right? I love the details and I love all these things. Ultimately, it's about having our hearts changed. And so here we have our application questions. We end this episode with Zachariah and, Elizabeth, uh, and Mary, and we contrast them. So Zachariah is paid to be holy, right? And when Gabriel comes and says, hey, Zach, 
Good news. Your prayers have been heard. Every day he had prayed for one thing, right? What was that? Give me a son, right? Gabriel comes and says, good news. Your prayers have been heard. And he says, you're pulling my leg, right? You're joking. What's happened? He's become cynical. Why? Because after a lifetime of praying, his prayers haven't been answered. And now when Gabriel comes from the throne of God, he doesn't believe it. Give me a sign. Okay. You can't talk for nine months. And when he's born, don't call him Junior. Call him John. Right? How is your heart? Is my heart like Zechariah? You know, the Archbishop of Canterbury said that 100% of Christians will be disappointed with God. That's not surprising. He said 90% will never get over it. Is that right? I think it's about right. Because we just don't trust quite as much as we used to anymore, right? He's in that, his heart. We contrast that with Mary when the same angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to be the one to bear the Messiah, even though it means you'll probably be killed in your community. You know what she said? May it be unto me as you have said. I don't know of any sweeter words in all the Bible than that, do you? May it be unto me as you have said. So we talk about, how's our heart? How can I have a heart like Mary had? How can you develop a childlike faith like Mary had? What, what lessons can we learn from that? You know, and, 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 and again, as I was sharing with Don earlier, I don't, I don't like Sabbath school questions like this when I'm teaching the Sabbath school class because I don't have see any connection between them. But we have a leader's manual in the series. And the leader's manual is based around the print and study guide. And guess what? I've actually written out how I would use the application questions as part of the series. And so you have suggestions on how to use it and little things to bring out and so on. And so it just helps you in that area uh, to try and make it spiritual and apply to the heart. Uh, here's one in episode two. It talks about Ruth. And uh, it's very interesting. Although scripture banned Moabites from entering the camp to the 10th generation, Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of King David. How can that bring comfort and assurance to, to us today? You know, the Bible says Moabites can't come in for 10 generations. Ruth marries Boaz and becomes the great-grandmother of King David. You know what that is? Grace. Even though the law said you're out for 10 generations, grace trumps that, right? Brought right into the family of God. It doesn't matter who your mommy was or your daddy is, right? So we try and talk about grace and all of these. These are the applications. And uh, here's the one we were talking about. Every episode has exploring the word on your own. This is on baptism. Here are these verses we talked about, that stringing pearls. It's right in there, written it out. So there's something special. Even the most long-term, stayed Seventh-day Adventists will learn something new in these things, right? And so it can touch their hearts as well. Um, this is the one that we talked about from the great Shema. And by the way, you can kind of see he's got the law written on his head here in his, in his arm, right? These little boxes, the tefillin. And uh, so they're putting the law in our mind. We know that is you put the law in your mind so you know what is right in your heart so you love what is right. And we make those applications in it. And so it's very, uh, very spiritual. Here's this whole thing about what the issue was in Mark 7. And so we try and deal with it that way. There's a leader's manual, like I mentioned. The leader's manual gives you basically uh, background information on how uh, I would answer the questions and use them and uh, share with it that way. Now, so what's the whole purpose of it? I told you about going to Southport, England. And they said, uh, come to Southport, Tony, 
And uh, I said, okay, I'll come in for a week and I'll do the archeology span and I'll introduce the program, that's what I often do. And uh, they said, no, 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 we want you to come the whole time and do Paul. And then the Jesus came out and they learned about the Jesus and they said, no, uh, can you come and, and do the Jesus series? And I thought, you know, that's, that's 28 meetings, you know? I don't wanna go to England, I live in Southern California, you right? <laughs> I don't wanna be in rainy, sorry. I don't wanna be in rainy England for six weeks, seven weeks. And so um, they prevailed upon me to, to go. And, uh, and this is what I really learned. When I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to myself. Now here's Michael Simpson. Michael is the church planter in the North England Conference. And uh, he's the most cross-cultural evangelist I've ever met in my life. They chose this place because it's far away. They had three Adventist members, two task force workers. I'm thinking, oh, what's this gonna be like? Well, they showed me this and they said, we're gonna rent the Burkdale room in the town hall. Well, I guess they're gonna put some resources behind it. So that got me a little bit encouraged. And, uh, and so we developed, we didn't, even have, we didn't have this nice brochure or anything like that. We developed something and we put it in the newspaper. And, um, and then Michael sent me a note and he says, now Tony, we rent the Quaker church in the morning. So we're gonna do a morning meeting and an evening meeting. And I thought, man, you have lost it. We're gonna have three people in the morning and two in the evening. You know, we got two task force workers, three, three members. This is gonna be a disaster in England. We put this into the newspaper and it was amazing. Over 60 indigenous people responded there in Southport, England and came out to the meetings. And uh, it was remarkable uh, as we did this. You know, here you can kind of see the morning meetings, evening meetings. And, and you notice what I did in my brochure? We had, we had seven meetings listed. Oh, no, 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 we got to list 28 meetings. Oh man, it's gonna be, you know, we're gonna be locked into this thing, you know, it's gonna be terrible. And it was just amazing. Now this is the first time I used it. I've been working on this for four years, filming this, editing for four years. Now on the back page, we put something about archeology. span Do you know we had more people registered for the Jesus series than for the archeology span in England? And so all of a sudden I realized we're hitting onto something that people are interested in. We brought our artifacts here and we did uh, the archeology span and then we had the morning meetings here at the Quaker place and the evening meetings. This is the opening meeting one Adventist in that group, okay, one, all right, in that whole picture. These are all non-Adventists that got, saw it in the paper and came out, that was a four-page insert that was put into the paper, and uh, it was the first time I presented the entire series, and it was just thrilling to see it. Now, again, as I told, told you, we watched the video. You know, if you have me come to your church, we're still gonna watch the video, and then we fill in the study guide. They're filling it in. This, this gal was so interesting. She was Swedish, but she had lived there for about 30 years and she would speak, now, you know, you think everybody speaks BBC English. I don't know if some of you have probably been to England, but I tell you, you know, get around Liverpool and all that, I can't understand half of what they're saying, you know. And so they ask a question and it's like, could you say that in English? <laughs> you, know? you know, I just can't understand it, period. This gal was even worse because she had their accent and, and she was Swedish. And so I'll never forget, I'd often, uh, say, uh, I just kind of follow up and, and say something like, you know, uh, uh, can, can you explain that in a different way or something like that? So we do the meeting on death. First time I presented this meeting on death. Blah, 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 blah. There is no death. I knew she was new age. The first time she came in, she talked about, you know, had, seeing visions and dreams and all these things to my wife. And she came in and was like, you know, kind of, kind of strange. Blah, 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 blah. There is no death. And I'm thinking, how do you say, can you rephrase that question, right? 
finally I realized that even though she was so bathed in the new age, she had heard the teaching about Jesus and death that she said, there is no death, it's a sleep until the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? And so we began to have experiences. Here's the final meeting, one member in the group. Now this guy is interesting because Steve came. My wife's the best greeter I've ever seen anywhere in evangelistic meetings. We've been in evangelism for a long time. I was in evangelism for four or five years with Mark Finley when I was a young, young guy. And uh, she's the best greeter I know. She couldn't get this guy. He came to the archaeology of the hotel. She couldn't get his name. In and out, in and out. Fourth meeting, we're talking about the baptism of Jesus, the temptation by the devil, and the origin of evil. He had brought his fiance to that morning meeting, and he came out and he said, what was the answer to this question? My woman was distracting me. <laughs> he had never heard anything like the origin of evil before. Now here was a businessman in the community, never heard anything like it. Things we take for granted like that, it opens a whole new window for Steve. And all of a sudden, he started walking home with us. We'd walk home from the, uh, Michael and I would walk home from the town hall to uh, our hotel. Steve lived beyond that in the nice part of town, and, and we'd walk home. Then we end up in the hotel lobby. Finally, we ended up upstairs in my room, which is kind of a big room, the three of us studying until 12, 1 o'clock in, in the morning every night because he was soaking this in and had never had any background. I mean, you can just see how the people are relating and so on, filling in their study guide. People say, I don't know, filling in the blanks and all that. It's a little juvenile. Well, I want to tell you, people love it because it reviews what they've seen. It draws them in, and it's so easy for us all to do. This was the, uh, this was Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath, and so there's, let's see, there's an Adventist lady. Uh, where is the Adventist lady? Uh, this guy is a Bible worker there and an Adventist, and uh, this guy was a recent convert, and that's Michael, and these folks are converts, and all the rest are non-Adventists. You know, so it appeals to people. And again, what I love, I know I'm an ASI, but I'm going to say it. I'm, I'm a foolish person. We send out a lot of different things from our churches. You get my drift? I don't know what the community thinks. I don't know what your neighbors think. You know, if, they're, if I'm getting this all the time, you know, it's just kind of a, I believe in that. I, I've been in public evangelism most of my life. But let's put into the mix something about Jesus. You know what I mean? It, I think it's just nice to have in the whole mix of what we're doing and, uh, and letting your, church, your community know we believe in Jesus. And so here's a nice, simple way of trying to do that. That's Helen of the New Age I was telling you. I think it's been... Now, this, this is a little testimony that happened at the end. This lady did not believe Jesus ever existed. Okay? And so here she is giving a little testimony. I think it's been marvellous. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, as you know, because I haven't missed a session, apart from when I had to go away for a few days. But I came as a sceptic, not really, sort of, uh, I didn't really believe even in Jesus, really. Mm. And, uh, but now I can say that I do think he existed. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and you've enjoyed it. 
I thoroughly enjoyed it. I love the format. I like the way we play the video. Mm-hmm. I play the video and uh, and we talk about it. Mm-hmm. I love the teachings of Jesus. That's what I like the most. Mm-hmm. That's what I like. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad uh-huh, you enjoyed thoroughly. it. Thoroughly. I wouldn't be here every night, would I? So if we run another series in the Paul series, maybe next year, would oh, you? Oh, absolutely. Really? Of course. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's sweet. She didn't even believe Jesus ever existed. <laughs> you know? And so uh, it's just wonderful to see. Here's Steve and his fiance. We're telling that story. Became a leader in the church, and this lady was lady baptized. So uh, again, you know, as I look back on that experience, what I learned was... Uh, it's what it meant to me, that people everywhere are hungry to know Jesus. Your neighbors are hungry. Maybe they're even good Christians, but this is, you know, it takes them to a different level where you can just kind of draw them in and relate to them. People that you relate to on, on your, your peers. Uh, sharing Jesus, I learned, not only blesses uh, others, it blesses you when you do that. Well, thank you for being with us. Let me have a little prayer with you. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to Share with this group. I pray that you'll bless each of us in our journeys. We want to share you with our community. So bless us. I pray that you'll bless this group to know how they can uh, most effectively witness in their world and to their peers, and that you will bless them in their journey. Thank you for the time we've had together in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.